Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 11 a.m. at the main campus and 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God blesses you through doing so. All right. Hey, great to have everybody here today. How many excited to be in church this morning? Listen, God, I hope you came with an expectancy that we're going to encounter the presence of the Lord. If you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here as well. And just to thank you so much for coming to worship today. Take your Bibles out and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. We are in God's story. What an incredible story it is. And we're learning, we're growing every week. We're, we're, we're learning the word of God. We're doing this for several reasons. One is so we can be more biblically literate. A lot, of, a lot of believers don't know what's in the Word of God. They don't know how to put it all to, in order and how to put it in sequence. And so we're learning, we're growing as we're studying God's story of mankind to every one of us. So we're learning and growing together, getting a clear picture of the Word of God. Let me tell you, the Old Testament is not necessarily in chronological order. You get those first books of the Bible, you start with Genesis, and you go all the way through the historical narrative, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Uh, they, they repeat some of themselves along the way. But woven in the Kings and the Chronicles are the prophets. And then you have stuck in the middle the wisdom literature. And you have Psalms and Job, Ecclesiastics, uh, uh, Song of Solomon. They're right there in the middle, the wisdom literatures. And then in the last part, you have the writings of the prophets. Now, much of what they wrote about took place in Second Chronicles or in Second Kings because they were prophets to those people back then. So it, the Bible kind of jumps around. It's not necessarily in order, but we're in that area of the prophets, God's messengers. And God sent messengers to Israel to recalculate them and try and attempt to get them back on the right path. The only problem is he sends them again and again and again, and they refuse to listen. Their pride wells up inside of them, and, and they don't listen to the voice of the prophets. Uh, God was speaking to them. They weren't listening. Now, the second reason we are in the story is because we want God to speak to you. It's not just an historical narrative. It's not just learning facts and history, learning the word of God, although there's benefit to that. But we want God to speak to your spirit today. Sometimes people tell me, Pastor, I, I, I don't hear God speaking. I, I can't hear what he's saying. I'm, and you're waiting for that audible voice. Most of the time, God will not speak audibly. You won't hear a loud voice. You see, man is made up of body soul and spirit the deepest part of man is your spirit man thus when the lord speaks to you most often it will not be to your ear senses to your body he will speak more directly to your spirit man that's why in revelation he says over and over again when he writes to the churches hear what the spirit is saying to the churches and so what we want to happen in your life as we del- open up the word of god and we make it plain to you that the holy spirit will begin to speak to your spirit and i'm excited today because i got believe god has a message for our to just to speak right to our hearts and right to our spirits about how he needs to recalculate our altitude. We are talking about recalculating. And, and sometimes we get a little bit puffed up and we don't hear what God is saying. And we tune out the voice of the Lord. And we think it 
we got it all together. But God wants to come in and recalculate your altitude and get you on the right plane. And so let's look at it together from God's word. Second Chronicles, let's stand together. Second Chronicles chapter 36 and verse number 11. Great passage of scripture. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and he did not humble, everybody say humble, humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him take oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and all the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his word, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. There was no remedy. What sad words. Father, I pray that you'll open up our hearts this morning. I pray, God, you will speak to our spirits that we will hear what your Holy Spirit would say to your church today. Examine our hearts and lives. Do your work in us. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great, and then you may be seated. How many... Remember precisely where you were on 9-11 when you saw those towers falling down to the ground. You know exactly where you were. It, it is, it's one of those images that is indelibly, indelibly planted into our brains. And, and, and you watch as the newsreels showed those towers falling again and again and again. And, and you cried out and you wept and you wondered what was happening in America. Were we under attack and what is going on? And you remember the chaos of that moment. How many remember the Hurricane Katrina off the coast of New Orleans? And it swept through there and flooded. And you saw the pictures of the flooding and, and the dams breaking and, and New Orleans under underwater. And, and you saw the horrible devastation of Katrina. And, and more recently, just not too long ago, Hurricane Sandy comes and blows in in New York and sweeps through that upper area. And you saw the pictures of the flooding and the destruction and the devastation. And we heard the, the body count and how many people lost their lives. And, and we remember that very vividly. Uh, some in here may have went through Katrina or may have went through Sandy. And, and you never want to repeat that experience ever again. Jeremiah is a prophet of God. And, and he saw a day of judgment coming upon Jerusalem. God revealed it to him. God showed it to him. And he, and he saw it in his mind. He saw, and, and there was nothing that would prepare him for what they were about to experience. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. 
and he cries and he weeps. He, he also wrote the book of Lamentations as well as the book of Jeremiah. And he weeps for the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and he weeps for the temple of God. Uh, and, and he weeps at all the waste and all the destruction. And, the, and what is about to fall upon Jerusalem and upon Judah. And if only God's people had humbled themselves and turned from their sins, God could have spared Jerusalem. But we come to the end of that verse and it says, for them there was no remedy. Look at verse number 12 again in this scripture. I want you to notice something about humility and about pride and about hearing the voice of God. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet. How do we know that Zedekiah didn't humble himself before Jeremiah? Because it goes on to say, who spoke the word of the Lord. Listen to me and get this. Uh, You see the connection between humility and the word of God, hearing the voice of the Lord. Pride tunes out the voice of God. Pride says, I don't need to hear God. We tune out the voice of God. Humility turns to the voice of God. An incredible difference in the two. Now, let, me, let me tell you something. God is good. How many know God is good? God's good. All the time, God is good. And God wants to bless his people. He desires to bless you. He, he wants to bless you because God is a good God. He wants to give you every good and perfect gift that cometh down from above. Uh, but humility tunes us in to the voice of God. Humility is what gets us in place to begin to experience God's favor and God's blessing. Now, God doesn't bless us because we're anything special. God blesses us because God is good. But if we have pride in our heart, if we resist God, we can't get in that place where we can receive God's goodness and mercy and blessing and grace in our life. But humility tunes into the voice of God and gets you in a position to receive all of God's favor. Humility. It's the key to God's guidance. It's the key to God's blessing. It's the key to God's favor in our life recalculating our attitude, altitude. God has to do that in our lives because so often we have this high, exalted opinion of ourselves, And we think we're pretty hot and we think we're pretty special. God has to come along and recalculate our altitude. Listen to Matthew 23, 12. <coughs> Excuse me. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. God will do it for you. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You put yourself in a place where you can receive the favor and blessing and promise of the Lord. Humility. Now, that's probably not what you'd hear at a leadership seminar. You go to those things today, those find your full potential. Discover yourself. Just think you can do it and tell yourself, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And, and, and uh, this self-help rediscovery of who we are or fulfilling your potential symposium. And, and you go to that to discover how to fulfill your potential. Listen to me. The key to it, obtaining the blessing and favor of God is humility. Not lifting ourselves up. Humbling ourselves before God. 
<coughs> Excuse me. Now, as you understand, as you, as you look at the scripture, and we, we come to the destruction where now Israel has already fallen in the north, and now we're coming to the destruction of Judah in the south. And you've got to ask yourself, how did Judah get themselves in such a mess? How did they get like worse? So let me give you just a little bit of background. Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. The northern kingdom has already fallen to the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in and they dispersed the northern kingdom around 718 to 721 B.C. They laid siege to Samaria and they destroy and scatter Israel all over the nation. But the southern kingdom of Judah is still intact. During Judah's reign, they have 20 different kings. Six or seven of those 20 kings could be good, depending on how strictly you grade and, and, and it's interesting, the average reign of a bad king was 12 years. Now, when their reign ended, when you were a king in Judah and your reign ended, uh, no one gave you a going away party. No one gave you a gold watch for your retirement. Uh, uh, there, there was no speaking engagements that would be lined up for you as the last king of Judah. Uh, the secret service wasn't assigned to you to guard you forever uh, like our presidents today. Uh, and so that wasn't the case. When you were finished with your reign in Judah, you were dead. That's how we know your reign ended. You died. You got killed. You got murdered. You got assassinated. In fact, as you read the Chronicles, you'll see all the bloodshed and all the kings. And it's kind of uh, very interesting as you track those guys. You were simply dead. Now, listen, the average reign of the good king in Judah was about 38 years. Very simple lesson. It pays to be good. Now, Turn, look at Second Chronicles 36 again. Look at verse number 15. Here's where we're getting to the, the, the climax. Verse 15, it says, The Lord God of their fathers sent word to them through his messengers. Look at that word again and again. God is loving. God is long-suffering. God keeps reaching out again and again and again. God is patient. And he sends prophet after prophet. And now Jeremiah is the prophet that was sent specifically to warn Zedekiah. Zedekiah is the king and he's a bad king. And and God one more time in his mercy and grace is reaching out to Jeremiah. Now when you read the book of Jeremiah, one of the central images of Jeremiah's prophecy was water. And he talks about drinking the pure water of God. Or he says, Israel, Judah, is drinking from empty cisterns. Well water, polluted water, crummy water, symbolic of their idolatry and following other gods. Listen to me. The waters of this world will never ever satisfy you. But there is a spring of living water that God wants to give you that always satisfies. And finally, Jeremiah, God's messenger, says disaster is coming because of your arrogance, because of your disobedience. But Zedekiah won't heed Jeremiah's warning. Now, Zedekiah is afraid of Jeremiah because there's that anointing of God. There's that mantle of God on his life. And so he doesn't kill him. What he does is he throws him in prison and he puts him in this prison right in the middle of the palace. The only trouble is because where the prison is located, the king can still hear Jeremiah. 
And Jeremiah is still calling out from prison. And Zedekiah hears those words uh, ringing through his head. Judgment coming. Destruction's coming. Uh, humble yourself. Repent. He didn't want to hear that message. He's a proud king. Proud pride tunes out the voice of God. And so what he does is he throws him down in the dungeon. Now, in the dungeon, he can't hear Jeremiah, but word still keeps coming back to Zedekiah. And this word keeps coming back, and now he doesn't know what to do with Jeremiah because the guards are down there and word's going throughout the palace. Let me me tell you something. You can run, but the word of God can find you and seek you out wherever you're at. It may be your mama's prayers. uh, It may be grandma's prayers. uh, It is that conscience, uh, and you think you're running, uh, but you're miserable because that voice of God keeps pounding in your heart and mind. Finally, Zedekiah gets really frustrated, doesn't know what to do, and so he takes Zedekiah and throws him down into a dry, empty well. Now remember the main theme of Jeremiah's prophecy is you're drinking out of dry cisterns. And so what happens is they take him and they're going to put him down in the bottom of this dry, dungy, tight well. They drop him down there with ropes and he's down there now in the bottom of a well. Listen, I want to tell you, you may think your boss is tough. And he may be talking about downsizing, losing your job. But if you were a prophet in Judah or Israel during that time, that's a very deadly profession to be in. They would kill the prophets. They'd saw them in two. Uh, they'd stone them to death and put them in wells. And that's where Jeremiah finds himself. And then you come to verse 16. It says, but they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Eventually, thank you, Mark, eventually the cup of God's wrath is filled to the tipping point. And there's going to come that point when there is no remedy. And God says, that's enough. That patient long-suffering God who warned him again and again and again. And he sends prophet after prophet. He finally comes to the point where he says, that's enough. There is no more remedy. Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon come and they lay siege on Jerusalem. They will lay siege to Jerusalem. Now, if you were here last week, you heard a little bit about the horrors of siege warfare. They lay siege to Jerusalem for two years. They surround that city. They starve that city. Ezekiel, a contemporary of Jeremiah, prophesied, their fathers will eat their children, and the children will eat their fathers. Uh, I will inflict punishment on you and will scatter all your survivors to the winds. That's how devastating the destruction of Jerusalem And Judah is going to be. Listen, this was a terrible time to live in Judah. It is a time of destruction. It is a time of pain. Uh, And for the generation, the destruction of Jerusalem, he says there will be no remedy. Listen, God warns us. And he warns us again and again and again. And eventually there's going to come a time when you will reap what you sow. It is one of God's immutable laws. 
And if in your pride, you don't listen to the voice of God, you don't tune into the voice of God, you tune him out, you shut him out, there will come a time in your own experience when God will say, there is no remedy. You don't show up to work, you come in late every day, you don't do your job and get it done, and one day the boss says, you know what, you're fired. There's no remedy. You're out of here and you're not getting a very good reference. You mess with illegal substances, illegal drugs. You say, well, it's only for recreational use. Only just a little toke here and there. Just to make me feel good. And you get hooked. And you get addicted. And the habit comes in and takes control of your life. And God warns you again and again and again, but there comes a time when you are addicted and there is no remedy, whether it's pills or or alcohol or whatever it is. You'll reap what you sow. The doctor warns you, you go to that doctor's appointment, that doctor's visit, he says, you know what, you're overeating. You're going to get high cholesterol, sugar diabetes. You got to cut back. You got to watch your diet. But we eat every piece of pie that comes along. And eventually we go back and the doctor says, you got diabetes. You got high blood pressure. You got cholesterol issues. And then your heart. And he says, you know what? You got to stop smoking. It's clogging up your lungs and cancer is going to come and you got to stop it and yet we got to have one more cigarette and we can't stop and then there comes that time when there is no remedy and then we line up at the altar for divine healing help me here am i way off You live, listen to me, you live with no love in your marriage, you're angry all the time, you come home angry, you leave angry, you're not treating your spouse the way God says you ought to treat your spouse, and one day he or she walks. And we wonder why. Where'd they go? What happened? You're you're a brutish man, you're a mean, cranky lady, and at some point it just stops. And there is no remedy. You live in secret sin. No one sees. No one knows. But all of a sudden, it all comes to light. And that Facebook encounter comes to light. And and that text message comes back like General Petraeus. uh, And it hangs him. And there is no remedy. And you're caught in front of the computer in the middle of the night when your wife reaches over to see where you're at in bed. And you're not there. And she comes walking into your your little private study all by yourself. And you got pornography all all over the screen. And all of a sudden, there is no remedy. Listen, God is warning us again and again and again. And if we in our pride and arrogance say, I want to do it my way. I don't need you. We will suffer the consequences. How naive can we be? Listen, God gives us these laws in God's word. God gives us the book, not for his benefits, but for ours. Follow the book. 
everything you need for your finances, your children, uh, raising kids, uh, your marriage. Uh, it's all in the book. It, it's like the stop sign. And it's there, and there's a warning sign, and it says, warning, danger ahead. Uh, Stop, turn around, uh, but we plow right through the stop sign, and then we go over the cliff. And it's not a physical cliff. We've already went over that cliff. We're already hanging out there. Listen, we can humble ourselves. We can heed God's warnings. We can turn around or in our pride, ignore God's warning, and we'll go right over the cliff. Listen to me. Listen to me just a moment. Our nation has been thumbing its nose at God. We have tried to reinterpret our Constitution. We have taken him out of the courthouse. We say you can't hang the Ten Commandments up there, although everything in our laws and jurisprudence system was based on the Ten Commandments. But take it out. Uh, Don't put it in there. Don't pray in schools anymore. Take God off. Take him out of everything we do in America today. We are rewriting history. We have left. what this nation was found on and based on. We are trampling on God's inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, And then we wonder why our families are falling apart. We wonder why our schools are in trouble. Wonder why our nation's in debt. We have a major drug and crime problem. Listen, if in our pride we shove God out and say, God, I don't need you anymore, we will suffer the consequences. And there will come a time because we fail to heed God's warning again and again and again. He says there is no remedy. Listen, before it's too late, God has given us a remedy. He's given us a remedy for our nation. He's given us a remedy for our lives and for our families. It is found in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble, humble, recalculate your altitude, uh, humble yourself and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Uh, Listen to me. There is a remedy today. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He lays siege to the city after two years. He destroys Jerusalem. He burns down the walls, burns down the gates, uh, uh, demolishes the walls, destroys the temple, takes the best and brightest to Babylon. By the way, don't miss next week. He takes the best and brightest to Babylon. Listen, it is possible for us, even in Babylon, to be an influence. Look at a man by the name of Daniel next week, an incredible character. It is possible to live holy lives in an unholy world. Do not miss next Sunday morning. Invite your uncles, aunts, and even everybody you hate. Bring them to church. Now, Nebuchadnezzar leaves Jerusalem. He does something. He says, you know what? I'm going to leave Zedekiah. You're going to be in charge. You're going to, I'm going to let you stay right here as my puppet king. Now, to show you how stupid and how proud Zedekiah is, uh, not only has he rebelled against God, he decides he's going to rebel against King Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar comes back. And when he comes back, he, this time he's angry. He's mad. I left you here. I put you in charge. You were going to be my puppet king. And now he's really, really mad. And so what does he do? He takes Zedekiah's sons, 
drags him out in front of Zedekiah, and then right in front of the, right in front of the king, he kills every one of Zedekiah's boys. And then he takes hot pokers, and he burns out the eyes of Zedekiah. He is going to be blind for the rest of his days. And then he throws him in prison where he can only live with his regrets and how he failed to heed the voice of the Lord. That's a sad story. Sometimes we say, God, where are you in all this? Why am I going through this mess and this tragedy? And, and, and God, it just seems like my world's falling apart and my family's falling apart and my job's falling apart. But listen to me, more often, these are messes we've brought on ourselves. Now, not all the time. Don't misinterpret this. But God reaches out again and again and again and he speaks to us and we refuse to hear the word of the Lord. Our pride won't allow us to listen. And finally God says, have it your way. Israel is so scattered and Judah is so scattered, they do not become a nation again until 1948 A.D. Pride promises control. Pride says, do your own thing. Go your own way. Be your own man. You are in charge of your own self. But we wind up getting controlled by somebody else or something else. There is always a heavy slave master, taskmaster, that will rule over us, uh, whether it's our addiction, whether it's other people, whether we're slaves to our job. Uh, but, but there's always something else that will rule over you. So while pride says, I'm going to be your, my own man, I'm going to be in charge of my life, you bring yourself under bondage of sin and the devil. Now listen to me, this is not just an interesting history lesson, although it's very interesting, uh, but it's more than that. We all have this human tendency to pride. It's called the pride of life. And pride is, is something we all have got to deal with in our own lives. So the question this morning is, how do we recalculate our altitude? How do we handle ourself, handle that pride in our life? How do we put ourselves in a position where we can hear God's voice and receive God's favor? Three things. Jot these down. We'll be very quick. Not doing too bad. Okay, we'll keep rolling here. Number one, repent of pride. Very first lesson right there. Repent of your pride. Now, now how do we manifest pride? How do we see this in, in the world today in relation to hearing the voice of God. Uh, four things, jot these down. Number one, there are those who don't believe in God. They might call themselves atheists, although I believe they're really very true, they're very few true atheists. Probably most people are agnostics. There may be a God, there may not be a God. I don't know, but I don't care. I'm not going to listen to anything God says not going to heed any warnings that are out there. I'm my own man. I can handle life myself. God is simply a crutch, and I don't need God, and God doesn't really matter in my life. Now, listen, most of you in here today are probably not in that category. You probably believe in God or you wouldn't be here. And if you're an atheist or an agnostic, we're glad you're here. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart today because that's the way he draws us. But listen, most of us probably are in here because we do believe in God and we want to be at church. We want to be around God's people. We want to grow in the Lord. And so that's why we're here today. And yet there are times we live our lives as functional atheists. 
Intellectually, we believe in God. We believe he exists. We believe he's the creator, but we live our life without God, separate from God, doing our own thing. It's pride. It's dangerous. We tune them out. The, the, the second kind of pride I, I see quite often is what I call the 9-11 Jesus. It's all call them in my time of need. And, and I go my life, and, and pretty much through most of my life, I'm sailing along, and God, don't worry, I got it covered. I'm in control. Life's pretty good. I'm making it on my own. Boy, as soon as a tragedy hits, oh, God! Then we start praying. Then we get serious. Then we cry out to God. Or, or maybe we put it off till the end of life decisions come and we're on our deathbed and then we really get serious about following God. It's that 9-11 Jesus. It's the Jesus who's there in our time of need. And then there's this pride of those who believe in God and they know what God's word says, but they don't obey it. They want to keep partying. They want to keep sleeping around. They want to keep doing their, their stuff, doing their own thing. They want to keep doing their junk. And so what happens is they, they know there's a God and they even know what God's word says. Many even raised up in church. You know all the stories inside and out, but you choose not to obey. Listen, that, that's a very dangerous place to be in. It's prideful. It's arrogant. In fact, the, the, the prophets called it sinning with the high hand. Like, uh, see the hand, see the hand, God. Here's the hand. And you shut God out. And you do your own thing. And then the fourth level of pride, and this is probably where I think really most people in this room fall in the day, if, we, if we're dealing with pride, it goes like this. I believe in God, and I love God. But I'm just too busy, God. Just too busy. I, I, I've got so much stuff going on. I'm sorry, God, I can't pray. And I'm sorry, I can't read your word. And I'm sorry, I can't fellowship with you. And I'm sorry, I can't tune in to hear your voice. Uh, Why? Because I'm just so busy out there. Listen, that is a pride of your own self-importance. Oh, man. That is a pride of our own self-importance. It's the world needs me. And so we have workaholics who think that the company can't make it for one moment without my expertise. I'm talking about pride here, folks. This pride, this, this, this over uh, thing to, to succeed, it all depends on me. Life depends on me. And whether, the, whether instead of partnering and walking with God and letting God help you in the journey and the decisions of your home, uh, decisions of your life, uh, the decisions on your job, you're doing it all yourself. Why? Because you're pretty special. It's pride. We're not, you're not, you shouted great through points A, B, and C. I lost you all. It's like, whoa. I didn't want to hear that. Time out. How do we deal with this? The only way is to, is to repent and humble ourselves before God. It's saying, God, I'm wrong and you're right. Forgive me. I'm turning to you. I'm turning to your ways. Uh, I'm going to model your word. Uh, we're going to live it out in our family. I'm going to live it out in my job. It's going to encompass every single thing I do. 
Do you realize that Judah was under siege earlier? Another king, Sennacherib, comes and he's going to attack the city. And uh, he's coming against the king in that day by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was facing the same dilemma that Zedekiah faced years later. But, but listen to what it says about Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 26. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come upon them during the days of Hezekiah. So what's the first thing we got to do? Repent of our pride and turn back to God and tune into God. Number two, listen and surrender. Listen and surrender. Put God's ways and his plans ahead of your own ways and your plans. Jeremiah knew that captivity was coming. In fact, he even knew how long the captivity would last. Uh, He said it's going to last 70 years. You will be in captivity. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. This is a great scripture, a great place of scripture. Many of you know it. Jeremiah 29 and verse number 10. Listen and surrender. Verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to you and bring you back to this place. Isn't that a great word? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Stop and listen. Stop and call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, Turn to the Lord your God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Now listen, Jeremiah writes this. The people are at their very lowest they have ever been. The rebellion is at their very worst. But even in the midst of all that, God says, I still have plans for you. I will have a remnant. God always has a remnant. Uh, And remember, even though Israel, the northern kingdom, never goes back into Israel, they're scattered forever. Judah will return from their captivity and get to go back and rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple 70 years later. Why? Because it's through the tribe of Judah that the Messiah is going to come. And he's going to keep his tribe intact. And so God says, I've got plans for you. I've got plans to bless you. I've got plans to prosper you. I've got plans for your future. I will take care of you. Listen, if the walls of your life seem to have crumbled, if the temple's all torn down and you're not where you should be spiritually, God would say to you again today, I've got some good plans for you. I want to bless you. I want to prosper you. I want to take care of you. I've got a future for you. Uh, Don't give up. Just turn to me. Just stop and listen. God, something good for you. God has plans for every area of your life. God has plans for your relationships. He's got plans for your finances. Uh, He's got plans for you to be used in your spiritual giftings. Who, me? Yes, you. God's got plans for your future. Listen to James 4, 6, and 7. He gives more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, 
than to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Sometimes we blame the devil for all the bad stuff that happens, but most messes are created by our own doing. Humility simply says, you're God and I'm not. You're God and I'm not. And in faith, I surrender my life to your will and your plans. And number three, very quickly, give the Lord the credit. Give the Lord the credit. Listen, humility gives God all the credit. It's not me. It's not me. It's not you. It's not us. It's not about us. It's all about God, and it's about the glory of God. And humility is all about giving the credit and the glory to God for every blessing, every success. God, it's not because I'm so smart. It's because you're so good. You are so good. You are so great. You are so awesome. And so we, we give God all the credit and all the glory. Listen to this, this word. I believe humility is needed more for our successes than our failures. Listen, in, in, when I fail, I'm already humbled. I'm already pretty low. I know I'm pretty stupid. It, yeah, I don't need to be. And when I fail, when I blow it, I've already been knocked down. Turn to, turn to Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah 9. Look at, look at verse number 23 to 24. Twenty-three and twenty-four, Jeremiah nine. This is what the Lord says: Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Isn't that good? Or the strong man boast of his strength. Or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness justice and righteousness on the earth for in these i delight declares the lord don't be arrogant with god's blessings thank god for his goodness give the lord the credit god is so merciful god is so good and there have been so many times in my own life that if i don't humble myself god will do it for me just because god's good as soon as I start thinking I'm all that, bam, I'm falling on my face. He does it. And, and just because God's good, he lets me fail. He, he, he messes me up. I, uh, I, I, I started a couple of years ago, maybe two, three years ago, I started playing softball in a senior league. I know you don't believe this, but I'm over 50. It's a real shock to some of you guys. I know you can't tell. But uh, I'm getting up there. And, uh, but, you know, you got a range of, of, of players, 50 years of age, all the way up through 81. The oldest guy in our league was 81 years old out there playing softball. And a lot of 70-year-olds, a lot of 60-year-olds uh, plus. And, and so I'm out there playing with these guys. And I was new to the team, brand new. Didn't go to any of the practice, any of that kind of stuff. I just kind of walk in and sign up. And here I am. I got my ready to play. Got my little uniform on. I'm ready to go. Ready to get out there and do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm on the bench. And he's got 70-year-old guys out in the outfield that can't walk. I mean, they're, they're, they're with canes out there trying to catch the ball. It's not quite that bad. But, you know, they're out there. And, 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 and uh, you know, I can still move okay. I can still run a little bit. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm like, you know, it's first inning goes by. 
balls are going through the outfield. They're going through all the gaps. They're dropping everything hit to them. The team just keeps rounding the bases. And I'm like, hey, coach, I, I can play a little softball. <laughs> Next inning, I'm still on the bench, and they're out there missing balls and all that. And I say, I say, coach, listen to me. I can catch the ball. Put me out there anywhere. So he says, okay, I'll get you in the next inning. So the next inning, I sticks me out in right field. And I'm out in right field. I've just asked to go in the game. First ball, hit to right field. It's coming. I got this. I got this. I'm running, man. Oh, man, my legs are moving. I, my, my, my blood's pumping. Bam, hits the glove, falls out. <laughs> Listen, every time, every time, God's so faithful. He knows just how to cut you down. He knows how to humble you. And uh, get you on the right track. My failure is my fault because of my own pride. It's a failure to trust in God. It is that it's overconfidence. But any success, any success that comes my way is God's goodness and mercy and grace. That's why, that's why when we come into the house of the Lord and we start out, we start praising God. We start worshiping the Lord and we humble ourselves before him. We prepare our spirits and we come into his presence. It, 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 it is slaying our pride. Praise and glory and giving it all to God. Just slays your pride. Put your focus and attention on the Lord. Uh, listen, God has a plan for your life. Uh, he has a plan to bless you and prosper you and not harm you. And God has a future for you. Listen to Psalm 20, Psalm 20 and verse number seven. Listen to these verses. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, uh, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Isn't that an incredible verse, an incredible passage? Some trust in chariots. Don't put your trust in chariots, horses, or anything else, but we will trust in the Lord, our God. Praise is all about boasting in the Lord, uh, putting your trust in him. It slays pride uh, and exercises your humility. 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 It is the key to the favor and blessings of the Lord. Let's let God this morning readjust our altitude so we're not so all that high and mighty. We are nothing. It is all God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.